Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor with Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. Today, we're continuing our podcast series to introduce you to the keynote speakers at this year's Virtual NSC Safety Congress and Expo. And with us is Corey Pitzer, the CEO of SafeMap International, a global safety consulting firm. Corey's delivered a number of recent Congress and Expo keynotes, and the presentations that I've seen have always been extremely fascinating. And this year's occupational keynote looks like it'll elicit the same adjective. It's titled, The Final Frontier, Zero Fatalities, to Boldly Go Where No One Has Gone Before. And that presentation will begin at 9 a.m. Central Time and 10 a.m. Eastern on March 4th. I'm thrilled to get the opportunity to speak with Corey before his presentation. Thank you so much, Alan. Looking forward to the uh, discussion. Now, the description of your speech in the Congress and Expo program um, speaks of predicting or preventing the next fatality, obviously referring to that as the holy grail among safety professionals. Beside, besides what is outlined in the program, what should people expect from this presentation? Uh, Alan, this is actually going to be quite a ride, I would say. Um, this has been quite a journey for me over the past two years, and uh, maybe I should just give you a little bit of the background how this came to be. Um, I was asked by, and this is two years ago now, by a, a large mining corporation to support and system, uh, assist them in a program called Elimination of Fatalities. And so it, it was a very ambitious program. And so what they did was they selected a core team of specialists, of which I was uh, one. Uh, there were three others. And uh, it was led by an executive in the company, a, a senior person with the name of Brian Maynard. And uh, so this team visited the various sites in this corporation, over 40 sites around the world. And, uh, and, and what we did is we talked to probably between eight and 10,000 frontline workers. Um, and during these engagements, we, we took each person or team that we spoke to uh, like on a journey of discovering fatal risk. So things that they knew about that they didn't want to talk openly about, things that they didn't know about, uh, and especially what they didn't know they didn't know about. So it was a very uh, pioneering and exploring process that we went through. And we uncovered multiple fatal risks. Um, and it was documented. It was then presented to the teams, the management teams, and then we went to the next site. Um, so since then, uh, Brian Maynard and one of the other specialists, Mike Byrne and I, uh, we, we did a deep dive into the data, which is actually an enormous rich source of real data. So it's not an, an academic experiment. This is real life stuff. Um, and um, it, it really opened my eyes about the multiple risk exposures that exist that we don't see and uh, we may never see because they may only exist for a second or two, maybe a minute or once every four to five years, some of them once in a lifetime. So they have no precursors, no near misses, no prior events. And, and this was the fascinating side of it. Um, so you know, if I can use a metaphor, I'm not sure if it'll work, but um, it's, it's like mini black swan events that appear and disappear like one day flies. So I hope I haven't mixed up my, my metaphor too much there. But this was, this was really a, a discovery for me. Um, and in, if you look at prediction of fatalities, uh, you know, these are buzzwords, uh, big data, 
artificial intelligence uh, and uh, and many uh, companies or software companies especially they started peddling this idea that they can predict um, trends in your data and that'll tell you if you use their software where the next fatal accident will happen now <clears throat> there's a there's a, 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 a word that the Australians, where I lived for a long time, Australians use quite a lot for those kind of claims, and they call it bollocks, uh, which is basically, it's a, it's a crude term for exaggerated truths and blatant lies or unfathomable rubbish. That's what these kind of claims are. Um, so I, I make this claim of going to where, um, you know, no one has gone before, uh, zero fatalities, and so I allude to prediction. So what I want to distance myself in this presentation from is what exactly uh, have we discovered as predictive? Um, so I think what came to be for me was almost uh, a new network in an organization, discovery of a network in an organization that, uh, that exists somewhere between the culture and the systems and the operational processes. And you can't quite put your finger on it. Uh, think, of a, think of a bottle with small stones in and you pour uh, running glue into it. Uh, so the glue mixes uh, and almost become like systemic forces. And these systemic forces are what we have found precede risk exposure. So it is uh, forces that in the organization dynamically link with events and circumstances and human actions on the ground in a random pattern to spark a fatal event or not. Nothing happens. And, and that's this element that, that I want to present. It's almost like I call these, you know, we have lagging indicators and we have leading indicators. And James Reason talked about pathogens. Uh, I call those latent indicators. What I'm talking about here are actually uh, lurking indicators. They lurk in the organization. They come and go, they ebb and flow in, in, in a way that we can actually predict. We can measure that. So uh, this is what I will show in my presentation, is uh, these systemic forces, how they ebb and flow, um, and so it is a probe into, random, into randomness, but not trying to predict the random event themselves, uh, if you know what I mean. Fatal event itself is a random event and cannot be predicted. Um, but if you have a look at how we, and, and, I'll, and I'll give you an example of one in a moment, um, but if you look at critical risk management today, uh, you know, the focus on serious injury, fatal potential events, uh, we've made quite a bit of progress in industry now. And uh, so, like, we define those situations, circumstances like working at heights or confined spaces. These things can kill you. And so that's what, not what this is about. This is much deeper than that. It's into the unknown level of this organization. And, uh, and I want to I wanna maybe create a term here that we call farmers as against a near miss. So what is a far miss? A near miss is, uh, you know, when something almost happened, you're a second away or a couple of yards away and something goes wrong, there's a release of energy, but no one gets hurt. There's maybe some property damage, 
Um, that's a, a neonimus. A pharmus is something that is maybe 10 yards away or a half an hour away or maybe 10 years away. It is this potential that hasn't got energy yet. But if you start to construct what can happen, what can go wrong here, what can come together, it is quite amazing what, what we've discovered. Um, and so it, it is not like one of the indicators is, uh, is this, I call this the golden ratio, uh, is how many of these near miss uh, events do you get in your organization reported? But more importantly, what does not get reported? What is hideable? So if you get people reporting things that they could have easily hid hidden away, your organization is approaching uh, uh, a level of clarity, a level of transparency, where you see the risks more clear, you identify them, they dynamically exist, they go away. That is a, as an ideal situation. What mostly happens in organizations, and the more this happens, the more likely we're exposed to fatal events, is when we don't know what we don't know. People don't talk. We've got this focus on safety in the organization. People don't want to upset the apple cart. Um, and that kind of uh, uh, culture in the organization, and it's commonly known as the reporting culture, but how do we know it's a reporting or a non-reporting culture? It is this ratio of, uh, of hideable versus non-hideable uh, potential events. And that's one of seven that uh, I've identified out of all this data and in this presentation, I'll present these seven, uh, starting with this one. And, uh, and this is what I call the coefficient of chronic unease, or a term that I started to use more recently, the coefficient of restlessness. An organization that is restless, that is constantly on the lookout, probing into these forces, is an organization that has a better chance of controlling its fatal risks as against an organization that fails on these seven indicators, and I, and I call those a restrained organization, um, they are more exposed to fatal events. It may never happen. You can have an advanced organization on the one side, you can have a, a, a restrained one on the other side, and you can still have a fatal event on the advanced one and not on the restrained one, because that's this randomness. But at least what you can do is you can look at these forces in your organization. And uh, the research I've done over the past uh, two years now is, uh, is, is, is highlighting what exactly can we measure. And, and I'll show some examples of organizations uh, that has been quite progressive in this field. One organization is a company called Demarine, who mined diamonds from the seabed in extremely dangerous circumstances with big ships and how they have actually progressed with uh, this progressive uh, identification of these lurking indicators. So, <clears throat> Alan, that was, a, that was a bit of a mouthful. Um, I hope I didn't um, confuse the subject more than I clarified it. No, I, I, was, I was following. I, I thought it was a, a pretty fascinating. Um, 
Now, you touched upon this, I, I believe, in your last answer, but in looking at their recaps from some of your previous Congress and Expo presentations, it seems at least one of the connecting threads is trying to get professionals and others to look at safety from a different perspective or to see something they haven't seen. Is that the case? And if so, why is that so important to you? I've had the unfortunate event uh, experience early in my career. I was a young human resource and safety training manager at a platinum division of a company in South Africa, which is today the largest mining corporation in the world, BHP. And uh, when it was still the separated from this company, I was working as an HR safety training person. And then in the gold division of this company, this was a big organization of 60, 62 companies around uh, Southern Africa, uh, a catastrophic event in a gold mine killed 177 workers on the ground. And as a result of that, with many things happening, I was actually then appointed as the group risk manager for this company. And I always felt that I didn't deserve this big accolade at young age, 29 years of age at that stage, because of a tragedy. And, uh, and what killed them? Well, it was a hard foam that they sprayed on the sidewalls and roof of the underground tunnels uh, for safety reasons. And this foam caught fire, something deemed impossible. And it was done in only a small section of hundreds of miles of underground tunnels a decade before. And on that day, the forces that I spoke about came together, conspired and killed. And, uh, and I developed after that for this company a, a, an elimination of fatalities program and um, it was built on the principles of what is now known as the new view of safety or safety to or psychological safety. Um, and when I started consulting with these ideas, like 25 years ago, I was called a maverick and a heretic and only brave companies took on board what we said. But today it's, it's mainstream stuff. And, um, and I feel that the great shifts in paradigms are often brought about sad events, tragic events. You know, think Bhopal, Piper Alpha, Texas Refinery, makes big shifts in the safety field. And, and I really feel we can and we should create change without burning platforms. And if you think Deming, Deming did this in a quality paradigm um, in the 60s and 70s of uh, the previous century. When he, you know, when he, what he defined as this change of paradigm Drive out fear, don't target workers, create trust, break down barriers, create consciousness of purpose. All of these things is actually what we talk about today as safety to or psychological safety. And what an enormous impact did he make on the quality movement or the quality processes in organizations. And I think we can do the same thing. We should do the same thing. You know, the safety profession... Um, you know, we need to change our paradigm, I think, uh, because we, we, we could be hampering the operational process. We say to the organization, don't risk, don't change, don't move boundaries, stay within this uh, narrow width of work, work as imagined. I think we must actually go the opposite way. We must create confidence and competence in the organization, and especially the frontline workers, so that they don't fear safety. 
that they don't run away, but that they eagerly want to contribute to success and positive outcomes. And for me, that's important, that we take the profession in that direction. That's great. Um, in, in an ideal world, what do you hope that people take away uh, from this presentation? Alan, I, I think two or three things. Um, the first thing is, I think that they should take away an understanding uh, that safety is not rocket science, but that it's far more complex than rocket science. Safety is not the simple, let's prevent accidents notion, let's create a nice environment for people to work in, let's create psychological safety at the front. It is far more complex than that. And we should understand that. And hopefully my presentation will, will show that. Uh, I think the second thing is um, that safety management will profoundly change uh, in the next decade or so. And, uh, and either we, cha we the change agents ourselves in the safety profession, or, or, we be, or we the victims of change, like, like what happened in the quality movement. And uh, I think thirdly, uh, we can't approach the future in an old-fashioned sailship or a steamboat or even a nuclear-powered uh, aircraft carrier ship. We will need spaceships. And, uh, and hence, the title of my talk, Boldly Go, Where No One Has Gone Before. So those are the three things. Well, thank you so much uh, once again for speaking with me. And personally, I'm really looking forward to your occupational keynote. Again, that begins at 9 a.m. Central and 10 a.m. Eastern on March 4th. And if you want to learn more about Congress and Expo, you can go to congress.nsc.org.